today <laughs> on this episode of Not Only But Also. Hi, I'm Renee. Hi, I'm Nicole. We need to restart this. Just keep going. It's fine. What's the difference? Um, okay. So today on this episode of Not Only But Also, we are talking about faith and doubt. And I'm not sure what the not only but also. Not only do I have faith, but I also have doubt. Exactly. Or not only do I do I have doubt, but I also have faith. That's probably more appropriate. <laughs> so, Nicole, talk to me about all of the doubts. All right. How much time have we got? About 45 minutes. Perfect. I'm just going to really quickly give you a high, high overview. My doubt story. You know people say their, their faith story, mm-hmm. their faith journey, as it were. No. I really, really dislike the word journey. Me too. My doubt. No, I like I like the word journey in and of itself. I don't like the way that it's been used by certain cultures to create some sort of. Yeah, I just don't. I can't even. I can't stomach it at all now. So it's it's lost all meaning. The word has lost all meaning. Um, My doubt journey. (laughs) My doubt story. My doubt trek up the mountain. Ooh, remember that one? Okay, we'll get to that too. So. I don't know. It's I don't even know where you're supposed to start, but when did it first hit you that you were in doubt? Oh, maybe about five minutes after I uh, prayed the sinner's prayer and asked Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. <laughs> in true, in truth, I came into my Christian faith as a high schooler with doubt. Hmm. I met this person, Jesus, and I fully was on board with who he was and what he meant to me. That part was really easy. But I had questions immediately and a lot of them. Hmm. And those have pretty much never stopped. Um, And I wasn't really in an environment, I would say, where I could freely ask those questions or I could get answers to those questions. I did a lot of seeking on my own and trying to read and find things that were going to soothe those little ripples in my mind of, well, why this and why this and how can this be and how can this be? And I mean, I had questions from things in scripture that didn't line up for me. Like? To, oh, I mean. I mean, try to remember From the get-go, I remember being a brand new believer in high school and thinking, this Adam and Eve story, this sounds totally impossible. Uh, Tower of Babel. Explain that to me now. That's how there's different people across the globe and dinosaurs and old earth versus new earth. I mean, this was where my mind went. And I mean, if you know me as you do, but if other people know me, I think that they pretty quickly know that I am a naturally very curious person. That's one of my more dominant personality traits. I like to know things and I like to know the why behind things. And if I don't know, it's really hard for me to be myself. It's really hard for me to be comfortable. It's really hard for me to exert the kind of passion that I want to exert for things that I really believe in and care about if I don't know the why behind it. I would say in the beginning, though, God answered a lot of those questions really quickly for me in roundabout ways and in creative ways and kind of soothed those doubts. And I just continued on doing, you know, what you do. And walk in with Jesus. And so maybe the real cracks in the foundation, foundation, the pavement started probably about eight or nine years ago. Okay. 
So about the time that I met you, yeah, uh oh, <laughs> there's no <laughs> no correlation, <laughs> <laughs> and I don't remember any one thing. I just remember feeling like something was off, something didn't feel right. I didn't feel sturdy. I didn't feel like I had all of the answers like I used to, and I could so easily just pull upon them, and you know, things were things didn't feel natural, I think, in a sense. And I started having more and more questions about lots of different things. And by this time, it's things, you know, I'm a mother of three by this time, and I've been married then almost 10 years or 10 years. And I'm now I'm questioning big theological things. And now I'm questioning my relationship with God and what it looks like and how I relate to him and who I actually am and who he actually is. And it becomes this kind of snowball effect. So about three years ago, four years now, I don't know, maybe four or five years ago, that's probably more accurate, I had what they call a crisis of faith. Dun, dun, dun. And I don't know. Did I seem like I had a crisis of faith? (laughs) Yeah, but I'm okay with that kind of tension. And uh, we're not going to talk about this, but your crisis of faith coincided with my husband's crisis of faith. Right. Well, maybe it was right on the heels of it. They definitely overlap. So I had already kind of been next to, quite mm-hmm. literally, somebody who had. So on either side of me, um, you were both experiencing this kind of thing, which was uncomfortable because I wasn't sure how I was going to relate to you anymore. Mm-hmm. But it was okay. Yeah. But go ahead. No, I think that you bring up a good point because – and I wasn't even thinking about this. But um, so Jonathan, my husband, um, he had a very difficult time with my yeah. crisis of faith. And it caused some real um, heartache for both of us for quite a long period in our marriage. And I would say historically, overall, we've had a pretty easy marriage and we get along naturally really well. And this was really, really difficult for us. And he really, he didn't get it. He just, he didn't get it. He couldn't get it. He didn't understand. Um, And I kind of reached a point where I just stopped trying to explain it. And so we had a long season where we didn't talk about God to each other, which had never happened before in our marriage and me coming out of that hasn't happened since. So there's like this dark cloud time of where it didn't feel safe for either of us because he couldn't relate to where I was and I didn't honestly want to hear where he was. Hmm. I mean, I wasn't gracious. I'll be totally honest. Jealous or angry or both? Um, Maybe both. Maybe. I mean, I definitely had some resentment of, why is it so easy for you to always believe? <laughs> and and that's not fair. I mean, that's a gift that he has. But to me, I was like, really? Oh, really? It's just that easy all the time? And he couldn't relate to where I was, where I was – I mean, I was bitching and grumbling and I was – my heart was breaking and – You were withdrawn. That was the hardest part for me as yeah. your friend. Yes. Was you were really withdrawn. I was withdrawn. And that was – Absolutely. That was heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was really – it was a really hard – it was a really hard time. And one of the things that I struggled with the most, which, you know, and it sounds so cliche, but for me, it's a – it's a it was a real hang up. It was the topic of suffering. Yeah. And I just 
I had a, I have a really hard time when I think about suffering in the world and God's sovereignty in and out of suffering and his role in and out of suffering. And I had to read a lot of books and do a lot of other thinking. And I couldn't read scripture because it didn't, the Bible was not my friend at the time. We had broken up. And so I did all these other things to try to answer questions. And I reached a point where I felt like, okay, that's good enough. Yeah. Like it's never going to be fully answered for me. I'm never going to feel total peace about it. But I reached a point where I was like, well, you can either take this, Nicole, as it is and just be like, okay, you have to make a decision. You move forward or you are done. That was it. And um, okay, wait. What? How do you? How, what is it? Goethe. Goethe. Okay, so he has a quote that's um, doubt can only be removed by action, which mm. I love. And through that whole process, too, Elizabeth Elliot, the writer, Christian writer and missionary, she has a quote that a lot of Christian women throw around, and She's I don't always love its context. Darling. But um, but in this case, I really hung on to it, which was do the next right thing. And so every day that I would wake up and feel like, I don't even know what I think about anything. I would just get up and do the next right thing that I knew to do. And I would do that again and again and again. And there's something really powerful about action. Mm-hmm. And, and I'll say the word people don't like, uh, discipline yeah. and faithfulness and just doing something, even when you don't have all the gushy, mushy feelings behind it. Um, there's a little bit of fake it till you make it in Christianity, I think sometimes. And hmm. I think I'm okay with that now. Yeah, I hear you. And I think. What's so fascinating is, you know, we process this out a little bit. We processed this out also with uh, our amazing sound man, Evan. And what I realized, and I'm going to say this out the, at, at the outset, that for me, I am in the crisis of faith, or at least I was right before this podcast started <laughs> in my processing. But I'm not because mm -hmm. I realize, and I'm going to give away the ending right now because this is where I have to start. Uh, my crisis was never with God or even myself. My crisis was in the system. Mm -hmm. And and we'll talk about, you know, our not being Christian but not being evangelical. We'll talk about that. And that's not what I'm talking about today. But the idea that you mentioned grief, Nicole, and I found this excerpt from what I'm imagining is a poem. Maybe this is the entire poem. It is the entire poem. I see that the <laughs> lines. It's very short. It's by Stephen Dobbins and it's called Grief. Trying to remember you is like carrying water in my hands a long distance across sand. Somewhere people are waiting. They have drunk nothing for days. To me, that's where my crisis came in because I watched my husband Greg and I watched you and I just wanted to hold up a really good God to people 
mm-hmm. in ministry. And I just wanted to everybody to know how good this God was. And this God that is good is one that I had met similar to when you had met right before I turned 18. And I had an experience with this God who it was about as forthright and um, it was almost, I, I, I might be repeating myself from an earlier episode, but it was like a Moses with the burning bush experience. It was very uh, supernatural. Mm-hmm. It was very visceral. And it was very, un, for me, it was unquestionable. Yeah. But then I started Bible school a month later. And that's what, that's what we do to really seal in. It's true. And really sew in that yeah. deep faith. Yeah. And then what happened was at Bible school, I realized that what I knew about God was not enough. Mm-hmm. So being who I am, which is quite an achiever, is I wanted to do what I could to prove that I knew as much about God as possible. And it wasn't in like this competitive way because I'm not competitive. I just, I'm not sure. Maybe it was just this need to be good. It must have been a need to be good. I, I That's probably one of the guiding uh, things in my life, um, knowing who I am and needing to be good. Um, and and needing to be absolutely authentic. Like I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to peddle anything artificial. Mm -hmm. But what ended up happening um, within that system of of evangelicalism, um, there emerged some really toxic mentors who were extremely abusive in in their way that they went about handling faith Mm -hmm. and doubt which was, there are no questions. Right. How dare you have a question? There, there is no bad behavior. Right. There, Moder- uh, behavior modification, it's um, it was that's all key. about. Yes. It, mm-hmm. there, there is no asking. If you ask it, it reveals the sin within your heart. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you don't. You don't ask it. So what I did, I ate and I gained like 45 pounds, right, in my 20s. Because I didn't, I had all of these existential questions that, that, and I, I have my degrees in English. So, but it was, if I brought any for, sort of, if I brought Goethe into the picture, mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it was going to be met with derision because that was worldly. That was a worldly response. And clearly I should have found it in scripture. Right. So I don't know where I was for all of those years, but I remember uh, Greg, my husband about, I don't know, a long time ago, he told me I could no longer read scriptures because every time that I had been reading a scripture, it felt like God had been shouting at me. Mm. And it just felt, it felt like nothing pleasant. It didn't feel like reading Jhumpa Lahiri or Stephen Dobbins on grief. G- reading about grief brings me more life than, than reading scriptures did for a while. And so Greg forbade me and being a subservient why? Just kidding. I'm not so serious. As you are. You know, but, um, you know, I was like, okay, great. <laughs> cool. No, no sweat here. But, but then I just, I, I, I experienced that grief, that grief of missing this God who I thought I had known, but who I felt had betrayed me. Mm-hmm. And in the last year, maybe it's, going back for my doctorate and reading the things. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's finding a sense of self. I don't, I have to work out what it is, but 
F. Scott Fitzgerald, this is what really, it was literature, of course, <laughs> literature. F. Scott Fitzgerald said, the test of a first-rate intelligence is the ability to hold two opposed ideas in mind at the same time. And that right there is when I was like, wait a minute. I, whatever, I don't know what F. Scott Fitzgerald believed, and I don't really care. And I don't, that's, my, my place is not to judge anybody. But what I do believe is that God is so beautiful that the spirit of truth can exist no matter who is speaking right, or no matter what is occurring. And to me, there's truth in that F. Scott Fitzgerald line. Mm -hmm. And that, I believe, is what helped me rectify that, number one, I had to let go of any precept of evangelicalism, of toxic Christianity, of behavior modification, of all of those things that didn't make me doubt God. They made me doubt myself. Mm -hmm. And then I had to reconcile circumstances, heartbreaking circumstances, dreams that had come true and recognize that it wasn't this God that these toxic people had taught me about, that if my circumstances weren't perfect, if I experienced pain in childbirth, or if we weren't making enough money, which I've talked about in a different episode, and which was the situation for us for over 10 years, that somehow God was not with us. Right. I had to let go of any sort of doubt in self and circumstances and recognize that there are going to be injustices that occur that have nothing to do with me or God. Yeah. And that in large part, my being able to receive any circumstance in my, my life, if it's out of my control, what can I do? Like you said, the action-oriented step forward to rectify it. And if I can't, then what am I going to do to learn from it, not to placate the situation, but to determine who am I going to be? Who do I want to be? What kind of person do I want to be, even if life doesn't make any sense? And now I know that my ability to hold two opposed ideas in mind at the same time is deeply satisfying to the God who created me to be exactly this way. That's good. And also, my levels of empathy, my levels of absolute ferociousness toward people who abuse others in the church <laughs> is an all-time high. Oh, yeah. And don't even come at me. You know, as one of my uh, colleagues at work, he's like, oh, Renee, I'm seeing you on Facebook and there she goes again. There you know, she I goes. Just, <laughs> there she goes again. And, uh, you know, I will come at you if you if, if I feel like you are using Jesus as a weapon against people, regardless of whether or not those people are Christians, especially if those people are not Christians. Don't you dare weaponize my Jesus. But second, the reason I feel this strong is because of the empathy that's been created of me recognizing that the God who I discovered at 18 through this visceral burning bush is the God. Mm -hmm. And all of the stuff that people tried to tell me would help me get to God was meaningless because I had already gotten to him. Yep. And did I waste the last 20 years of my life? Maybe in some senses, but you know what I know now? 
I now can tell people the opposite of what was taught to me. That's right. And that can be the greatest gift that I give people. I feel like you, I've heard um, author, there's an author, um, Christian author, Frank Viola. He's, I've heard him talk about this. I, I don't think I'm paraphrasing him exactly correctly, but so sorry, Frank, but he talked about the church very often sells us this bait and switch gospel. Yes. Like Best Buy. Best Buy does the same thing. It's yes. It's Best Buy. Yeah. And Best Buy is we, I think we, we instinctively, spiritually know it's wrong once we are, once we've made our purchase yeah. and we try to enjoy said purchase, Jesus, and live that life with him. But then the church tells us, well, actually, it's not totally true. There's a few other things you have to do to guarantee this purchase. And mm -hmm. you have to, you know, follow these other instructions and make sure you do these things every day. And if you don't do these things every day, well, you're putting this purchase at risk. Yep. And you can't really enjoy it without, you know, following these guidelines that we've set in yeah. place for you. Yeah. And it is so deeply heartbreaking and it happens all of the time. And we become very rote and just kind of going along, not because there's not something in us that doesn't know. Something in us does know that it's not right. But especially if you're a young believer like both of us were, and you're not in a situation where you have the freedom to really just love God. Or ask questions. Or ask the questions. Then we get put on this conveyor belt yep. of faith that takes us through all of the check boxes of morning quiet time and read your Bible every day and don't do this and don't do that and do this and don't do that. And it becomes really exhausting and it's really hard to have an authentic, genuine relationship with God when that is your experience. Well, and more than that, and I think this may have happened to both of us because you and I, you know, we didn't have the prettiest 30s when it came to circumstances and chronic pain or financial or both or whatever, and all of the other things that happen. This idea that if you somehow act a certain way, your life is going to turn out a certain way. Mm -hmm. And this is the biggest disservice that this pack of lies gives us, this yes. bait and switch gospel, so-called gospel is this ungospel because mm -hmm. gospel means good news and this is it's bad news it's right. the worst news um is that if anything does go wrong god is not with you or you have done something wrong right so now not only have you that now there's so much that has been derailed mm -hmm. there's sense of self sense of purpose uh faith in God and people are wondering why so many people are leaving the church. Right. They're bolting and rightfully so. Because life doesn't hasn't and I'm not saying that this is some sort of a prosperity thing like but this is this is what has been this was what was sold to our generation and, and not everybody but this is what I understood it to be that if I did these things it would go well with me. If you don't have sex before you're married, yeah. as an example, the Correct. church really loves this one. The church loves this one. If you don't have sex with your spouse before, or anyone yeah. for that matter, before you get married, you are guaranteed an awesome, hot, steamy, 
Christian sex life. Yeah. Um, that's not true at all, ever. It's not, except for in my case. Right. And you guys, yes, but in general, I know so many people who had held on to that sure. quote unquote promise. Yeah. With the expectation that their marriage sex life would be a certain way. And that's just one example. That's one example that we're told where yeah. circumstances God moves in and out and through all circumstances. But check this out and listen to this both and reconciliation that I have regarding even that with the sex when it comes to doubt and who we are, how how we've been made as people. And I want to also talk about Thomas in a minute, but doubting Thomas. Um, this idea that the, the I know hundreds of people from the church because I've been around a long time and in extroversion, I go to 11. I like people and I know a lot of them. And I will say that many, many people who who bought into this idea that Nicole is saying um, that if you if you don't have sex somehow it, you, that light is going to get turned on on your wedding night and all of a sudden everything's going to be wonderful and I will say that that wasn't the case for the majority of people um, and to be honest it wasn't the entire case for me too right there were there you know, there's always issues but here's the thing that was so awful about this if you tell yourself for three, five, 10, 15 years that you cannot do something, that you are forbidden to do something, mm -hmm. and you've programmed yourself to do that. And then one sentence that's extra, two sentences that are exchanged on one particular night. I do. I do. Yeah. All of us. And now you are asked to do the opposite extreme of what you have conditioned yourself for 15 years. That is not how the human being is created. And guess who created the human being? God. Mm -hmm. So the very person that you're supposed to be serving, this most high God, is the very person who you are dishonoring by doing this thing to yourself psychologically and emotionally and mentally and all of those things. Right. We are not built for that. And therefore, that is one little thing. I don't know if that I'm making the most logical leap, but I'm making it anyway because I can um, and I will, is is then why can't we then have room for questioning? Why can't we have room to say, I don't understand how this can be possible in the context of, of talking about this Christian God? I think that you're asking a hugely important legitimate question that has, I believe, a very long and complicated <laughs> answer that I also think in part would be answered in a follow-up episode where we really do actually talk about our experience uh, with evangelicalism, part of the short answer, and I, it's hard for me to even say this because it can very easily sound like I'm blasting the church. I will preface because I'll just preface that I love the church. And when I say the church, I mean God's body and his people. I'm not talking about a building and I'm not talking about the institution of the American church. I'm talking about the people of God. I love the church and it's really hard sometimes to be the free moving, free wheeling body of Christ on this earth inside of a system. Mm -hmm. And it's also really difficult to ask questions like you're talking about and have permission to ask questions when a lot of that system is designed to 
produce one kind of outcome. Correct. And that outcome is like, let's, like I mentioned earlier, let's be on the conveyor belt and let's all have the same level-headed, straight Bible, everyday sort of faith that just blindly moves us along. That's a lot easier for churches to manage. And I'm not saying this to in any way to attack churches. I'm not going to pretend that I know what it is to lead or build or plant or pastor a church in that sense. But I also know that it's a lot easier and more simplistic to kind of let everyone do something similar versus letting people do their own thing and have their own individual faith experience. I know I feel like I already have regret for saying these words. No, I love it. I'm totally on board. I think that's what makes it hard to to ask those questions. It's hard to control people who who think for themselves. Right. It's really tough to – you have these outliers and then you start to feel like you're an outlier when you have questions of doubt. And I think really if you were to survey – most American churches, most people have had some measure of doubt 100%. that probably had never been communicated. Yeah. Which is also and then tragic. Once they do communicate, they're considered, now we're going to pray for you. We have these pithy mm-hmm. uh, platitudes that are super condescending. If I ever convey doubt to anybody and you tell me you're going to pray for you, be prepared for an answer <laughs> that you might not like because I don't want to hear it. I said, it's fine. If you want to actually pray for me, great. But if it's this, oh, I'll pray for you. All right. Because oh. you know that I'm wrong and oh, you're right. You sad, sad Christian. Right. If you know, mm-hmm. if, if, if anybody comes at me with the, you know, and I don't, I, you're wrong and I'm right. If I ever come at you with, I'm, I'm right and you're wrong. I mean, maybe I'm doing that right now and this is the biggest irony of my life. But, <laughs> but, but this is the thing. Well, at least I, at least I can see it. Um, I don't I don't want that interaction anymore. And I want to talk about what, for those of you who doubt, I don't care where you are on any sort of faith spectrum, whether or not you consider yourself a person of faith or not. Doubt is scary. Doubt is isolating. Doubt, but for some people, doubt is freeing. I think for some people, doubt is how you get to the, not to the answer, but maybe to the solution. There's a difference between an answer and a solution. I think an answer for me is mm. like two plus two is four. Yeah. But solutions can be multifaceted. I would agree with you. I would think, I would say that I have now come to recognize that I am, I was actually designed by God to doubt. Yeah. I, agree. I was a born skeptic. I'm not cynical necessarily, but I am a skeptic. And that is actually something that he created in me. Yep. And taking me through that whole process of feeling like I was going to walk away even to where I am now, I know that one of the things that God wanted to underscore for me was, actually, Nicole, this is okay. This is who I've made you to be. Don't be afraid of it. Don't run from it. Embrace it because it doesn't change anything. At the end of the day, that's the difference. It doesn't change God. It doesn't change his permanence. It doesn't change his goodness, his love. His presence, which I was definitely tricked into thinking that it changed his presence, that it was taken from me in some way so because amazing. I doubted, and that somehow I was lacking, that yeah. I didn't believe enough, that I couldn't muster it up, that I couldn't, you know, make whatever happen happen. And I know that I was designed to be that way. And I, the, me embracing that and realizing that, that was a huge, huge 
shift. Yeah. And I, when that emerged, when you had that revelation, I don't know, in the last three or four years, Mm -hmm. it was such an emboldening act for you where you could, you doubled down on just your commitment to everything, I think, and your ability to talk to people and say, you know, when people tell me they don't know, I respect them so much. Or when people have nuanced answers, I'm like, let me think about that. Or just this idea where you push back and and you're causing the rest of us to have to dig deeper. This, I think, brings glory to God. Absolutely. Because for us to think that in a systematic theology book written by one person, that happens to be 9,748 pages, that somehow all the answers are contained within that, that that somehow brings glory to God. Mm -hmm. To think that we could contain such an almighty being. An infinite being in the in a certain set of pages or a certain set of ideals. Yeah, who recognizes the uniquenesses of generations, of cultures, of genders, of of millennia, of I don't even know what's beyond millennia. Like the, if this God truly has been who got to know who created dinosaurs, right? Like all of these things that this God is able to do. And somehow in a 45-minute sermon or in a 9,000-page book, we're able to somehow say, this is it. We figured it out. In 1987, we figured it out. There is there is a level of spiritual or theological arrogance. Obnoxiousness. That really pisses me off. No one person has the corner on truth. Guaranteed we're all going to have a point when we get to be face to face with God and we're going to be like, oh, dang, I did not know that. Yeah. Or I was right? corre- incorrect. Correct. In I how agree. I thought of this or how I viewed you, any number of things. And I'm, here's the other thing. I'm okay with that. Mm-hmm. And it's really hard for people to be okay with the gray, the gray space is just really uncomfortable. And you know what else I think is uncomfortable for people? Because I think you, it's so funny, even our houses, like Nicole has a lot of grays in her house, in her house. And I think you are really good with the gray area. And for me, and I feel like kind of, God kind of encouraged me with this um, because I think I've been taught to be so black and white, but I am not black and white. I'm about as colorful yeah. as it gets and yeah. come into my house and you will be hit by the color. <laughs> and, and I, if it does, if it's not colorful, forget it. I'm bored. I'm bored. And, um, and so what's so interesting is that you have been created to operate in this gray space, in this space, not of cynicism, but of, of, uh, you used the word, and I can't remember what it is. Of skepticism. Skepticism. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. This gray, this skepticism place, this place that le- leads us to a higher level of critical thinking. And for me, I feel like I've been called into this place of color, mm-hmm. where you might have viewed God in black and white that this is the answer, but I'm letting you know that there is color. That's good. There's color, and it's fun, and it's 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 it's. It's bombastically amazing. (laughs) And it is everything that I've ever, I believe that the God that I, that the God, that the God is everything we've ever dreamed. I believe that. 
And, and you know what? I might be wrong, but I don't know. Do we really, if, if all the Christians, all of the Christians who think all of the things on all of the world sit down and get real honest and we think, is the first thing that's going to happen after we die and we are faced with this big God. Do we really, really, let's be intellectually and emotionally honest. Do we really think that the first thing that we are going to come across is a disconnected and disappointed being? Mm -hmm. You've died. Sorry, sucker. Joke's on you. You didn't do it right. Also, I think we lose nothing, to your point. Believing that God is everything we've dreamed of and desire him to be, we lose nothing Yeah. in living like that. We definitely lose so much on the other side of that if we can't embrace that. Yeah. And I'm okay. I want the cost to happen now too. Like I'm willing to – I'm willing to pay the cost to believe that God is that good and that wonderful and that he's not upset with me for my questions. He yeah. He delights in my questioning, in fact. Yeah, absolutely. I delight in your questioning because your questioning keeps me from being lazy. And your questioning makes me think, oh my gosh, all right, I need to dig into this. And so for you doubters out there, I don't think that you're in sin. I think that you are on the precipice of, of becoming who you were meant to be. But I don't know. What do you, well, what do, you do next? You, you do the next right thing, which is if you need to get into conversation, do it. If you need to go to therapy, do it. If you need to read a book or a million, read the, or articles or Google searches or get in Facebook groups or... Or go for go run marathons. I don't know what it's going to take for you to sort it out, but whoever you are, I would say, like allow yourself to not even have to sort it out, but allow yourself to truly experience who you are, and and enjoy your life. Enjoy okay. your life. This has been on my mind because I was thinking about it actually when we very first started, or even before we started recording this. So. I'm not going to give this as advice per se because I don't want to say that I I know what anyone should or shouldn't do, but <laughs> but it's advice, so get ready. Well, get it's you, a, get your it's pen a story. And pay it's it, a story. I don't. I mean to say what anyone should or shouldn't do in in terms of doubt or I do think it could look different for everyone. I mean, I love the suggestions you just gave, but this is one thing that came to my mind, which is that something that you, Renee, spoke to me, and I've shared this with you. But this, that was a catalyst for me in my embracing my questioning nature and me embracing my doubt and not feeling like I was somehow flawed for it. And I know you remember this conversation. We were talking. I was probably just complaining or hurting or sad. I don't know. Who knows? I was probably complaining. And you said, Nicole, God trusts you. And Maybe that sounds like a simple sentence on the surface, but at that moment in that time and for all of the years following, it has echoed and reverberated through my mind because the message that we hear so often is trust God. 
especially if you're having doubt or questions or your faith feels shaky. We're told, trust God. God's good. Trust God. And here I was talking with you and you looked at me and you said, Nicole, God trusts you. And to some people that might sound uh, uh, heretical. I don't know, blasphemous. I don't know. But I knew in my spirit in that moment that that was true and that God does trust me. There's a lot of reasons why he trusts me. One is his spirit is in me. I'm his. I belong to him. And he actually trusts me. He trusts me to make good decisions. He trusts me to listen to his voice. He trusts me to love others. He trusts me with the the children that he's given me and the ministry that I have. He places a certain amount of trust in those he calls his. And I had never considered that. I had never thought that. I had never heard those words spoken before. And it was a, it was a, I mean, there's a few things in my life where the, theologically I've had a huge shift when someone has spoken something, and that was one of those times. That, to me, is the one of the things that I would most want for people to mm. grab onto and believe. Even if you have questions still about all the other things, if you can believe that God actually trusts you wherever you're at, that is so powerful and so freeing, yeah. and it speaks to – the true love he has for us. And you know what? Believing that helps quell doubt because it empowers you to do the next right thing. That's right. It empowers you to be a better person, better, you know what I'm saying, these are loaded words, but it empowers you to be all in in your life. Mm-hmm. And I think when we're all in in our lives, it's hard for us to be neglectful of ourselves or others. It's hard for us to live in this state of anger because we're like, well, this this amazing God has entrusted us and and we want to honor that. Yeah. So good. It is us good. Oh, wow. Look at me. Look. Mm. So, yeah, you did it. It's all no, you. I, yes, it was all me. No, it good was job. not. No, I don't know. I just knew that that was true. And I imparted that to you. And I probably didn't believe it for myself. Which is I believed it so for often you. the case we've talked right? about. I believe things yeah. so easily for other people. I believe God would have their back and he's doing these things and moving on their behalf. But it's always it was always hard to transfer that belief to myself. And I've gotten a lot better. And I but it's still not perfect and that's okay. I'm not, I want to be in the place where I don't beat myself up for it. There's no condemnation. I'm not going to sit and feel badly if I can't every day feel all the fullness of all of the faith that I wish that I could feel. I want to still embrace and enjoy the relationship I have with the Lord in all of its, and in every state that it goes through in and out Yeah, because it's a living Thing. Yeah, it's true. And for those people, we I mean, we have to do a part two or something on like the biblical, the biblical doubters. But I want people to go back and read the story of, of Thomas in the New Testament or Mary and Martha who, Jesus, why weren't you here? And our brother died and their brother was eventually, uh, spoiler alert, their brother was resurrected from <laughs> the dead. Uh, Jacob who wrestled with an angel of the Lord who many people believe was Jesus. This is the Old Testament. And and that's how Israel, essentially, the, the name Israel and then the people were eventually formed out of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the 12 tribes who were Jacob's sons. And so, um, you know, reading these stories throughout scriptures, if those of you, I know we weren't super scripturally, we weren't scripturally based. Um, <laughs> but if you want that, entrust yourself to go back and read 
the stories of these people and look at how God used their doubt. And none of them were condemned to the fiery furnace of hell. And none of it was wasted. None of it was wasted. They all revealed a beautiful aspect of God. And and I think that's something worth doing again and again and again. Well said. Yep. I think we're done. Okay. I think that's a good stopping point. I think so too. Thank you so much for your skepticism. Oh, you're you're very welcome. <laughs> it's paid me a better person. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for your um rejection of the system. Oh, you're welcome. It's also paved paved the way for me as well. Yes. Like it does. Happy. I accept all the people in it, but the system <laughs> out. Out. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Peace. In the Middle East. All the time. Everywhere. Amen. <laughs>